Welcome to Here's the Scoop, a podcast that takes a bite-sized look at the evolution of food and trends from a uniquely Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Pei Chen. This episode is all about food trends and social media. I'm on Instagram more than I'd like to admit, and I've definitely taken part in posting photos of trendy dishes. Things like avocado toast, or berry galettes, fried chicken sandwiches, and of course, trying to nail the ultimate chocolate chip cookie. But one of the most recent trends to take off on Instagram was bread. Everyone seemed like they wanted to bake during lockdown. Google trend searches for bread hit an all-time high, and hashtag bread was used millions of times. In Canada, ingredients for bread became a little hard to come by. One of the key messages that we really tried to communicate during that time was we don't need to be worried about Canada's grain supply. That's Shira McDermott, the co-founder of Flourist, a Vancouver-based artisan flour mill, During the pandemic lockdown, they were completely swamped. People were unable to find flour anywhere. And so we ended up, you know, with this this kind of daily thing where we would launch our online sales just for the bakery. So this is just locally. Um, At 9 a.m. is when the online sales open. And by 9.01, our entire, you know, we had an allotted amount of bags that we would set aside every day. And by 9.01... Every single flower would be gone and we'd have, you know, 30 phone calls of people who, you know, were were quite upset because they had the flower in their cart. You know, everybody was after our sifted bread spring, which is our bread flower. And um, they'd just be so upset because they did everything they could. And, you know, no matter how quickly they input their payment information, you know, there was just more people that wanted flour than we had bags. We would sell, you know, a month's worth of inventory in an hour. That went on for two months straight. We quickly got together, you know, a small delivery fleet. We had baristas that became delivery drivers. um, And, you know, our team was just being shifted all over the place to accommodate this really quick transition. And it was, it was crazy. Flourist has been around since 2014 and works with Canadian farmers to sell traceable grains, beans, and of course, their freshly milled flour. They've also racked up tens of thousands of Instagram followers. From the get-go, we have always been really active on Instagram, um, and um, it's been a, a huge part of our strategy. And you know, especially with with bread, there's 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 so many niches of of what people are doing on Instagram these days. All of these things are, in a sense, you know, a little bit aspirational for people, and so aspirational and inspirational. And and our goal has really been to give people a sense that, yeah, you can totally do this. And here's a gorgeous picture. And here's another gorgeous picture of a friend of ours. And, you know, we've always really loved sharing beautiful content from people who are also posting, um, whether it's a recipe that they made of ours or using our products. Um, And so we've really tried to tie in gorgeous kind of inspirational content with also a sense of community.
Later in the episode, we're talking to an Instagram influencer about building food communities online. But first, let's shift gears and talk about the trends themselves. How do they get started? And how do they end up snowballing? I'll be discussing this with chef and culinary stylist, Rosie Earle. Tell me what kind of work you do as uh, a culinary stylist, which is also known as a food stylist. Yes. So food styling is more about getting that food ready for either a photo shoot or an ad or something like that. So you, you you cook the food, you get it all ready, you make it all pretty, you do some props and whatnot. And then culinary styling is a little bit more to do with like the kind of TV shows that I do for like uh, cooking competitions and things like that, where you're not necessarily touching the competitor's foods, but you're setting up the shot. So you sort of like make sure that the angles are the right angles. You look for the things that the producers might want to touch base on the, or the things that the competitors are t- talking about and that kind of stuff. And you refresh the sauces and the herbs and so that kind of stuff. Because when we turn on a food show, whether it's a competition show or a instructional show, um, what draws us is oftentimes the really vibrant ingredients that they're using, especially in a competition show, because what you see is like this beautiful pantry mm-hmm. that looks like a yeah, grocery yeah. store. And that's exactly. what you're responsible for. It doesn't just show up like that. You have to go out and you have to pick the perfect peppers yep. Yep. <laughs> and the, the brightest tomatoes. Yeah, a friend of mine made fun of me one time. She actually came with me when I was shopping for a, a magazine shoot or something. And I spent about 15 minutes looking through limes to buy six limes. <laughs> and to this, that was like three years ago. And she's still making fun of me for that. She was like, oh, do you, do you need some help with those limes? You know, I know it takes time. It does take like, time. You're picking the, yeah. you're looking for the most beautiful produce. It's not just mm-hmm. kind of like throwing them into your basket. So people don't realize sometimes the amount of work that goes into um, styling the set. So what kind of food shows have you worked on where you're working as a culinary stylist? Um, I, I did Top Chef before. I've done uh, like other, com- mostly competition shows, um, uh, Fire Masters, The Big Bake, Chocolate Showdown, uh, uh, MasterChef. I didn't food style on that one, but uh, that's some of the shows I work. And then I've done like some sort of other things like lifestyle TV for like Stephen and Chris and The Goods, where for those ones, I am touching all the food, all the food I'm touching. We love touching right now. Trust me in these (laughs) COVID times. (laughs) That's why no one eats them afterwards. It's always like the food on set. It's, it's like, it's, Food to be shot, it's not food to be eaten sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is that, like, nowadays, things have changed from the way they used to be. You know, like, 20 years ago, people didn't, um, you didn't eat the food, not so much because you were touching it. You didn't eat it because it was lacquered with all kinds of stuff and, you know, glued with polydent and all kinds of crazy things like that to make it look a certain way. I'm not saying that you don't do a little bit of judging to make it really beautiful now, but the trend has changed to, for things to look more natural rather than, I mean, they're still styled and beautiful, mm-hmm. but and they still look perfect, but they're not, if you compare to the way things were made before, if you look at any magazines from like the 1980s or the 70s, the food looks obviously completely different. Yeah. And also there's no, you know, jello molds or things like that. Well, it used to be that uh, food that we saw in advertisements, for example, was um, famously known not to be even real food. So it was 
a bit of like mystery. Like, is that actually ice cream or is it mashed potatoes that you're styling yeah. like ice cream? Is it、um, lard or shortening? Those、exactly. are the tricks of the trade. But now it's yeah, yeah. as much as possible using the real food. Yeah, and I mean with ice cream, that's that's kind of a tricky one because ice cream is hard to shoot. Obviously, you have you know、uh, temperature and, and time and all these different things. You have a ton of lights. Yeah, it's a hard one. On、um, let's talk a bit about food trends.、Um, social media has affected what makes food popular in terms、mm-hmm. of whether it's an ingredient or the way. Uh, we make a certain dish, or the way a certain dish is presented. So, how do these trends and the popularity of、um, social media affect your work? Yeah, social media and that kind of thing increases popularity, increases demand、uh, on foods, increases prices, increases many, many things. Right. So, if you take something like avocado and avocado toast, whoever the first person decided to make this. Avocado toast, and then people got on the bandwagon about the avocado toast. Restaurants started selling avocado toast. All of a sudden, it's fancy. People are making rosettes with avocados. I have done, and it's just—it's all about what people want to see. So you want to have some sort of—you、um, you want to be relatable, right? So you want to make sure that the whatever you're shooting, whether it's a TV show or a magazine or an ad, is things that people can relate to. So with the smartphones. And all the photos and the sharing and all that—it's just the availability and accessibility of、uh, what's out there. You look at things like、um, in terms of in terms of what influences food trends. You could have anything from lifestyle to politics,、um, like the, the economy,、uh, wealth, recession—all that stuff affects what food is like, what we eat, when we eat, how we eat it, where we eat it, whether we go to restaurants or we do it at home or whatever. Because、right. then people are like, you know, you look at that movie Chef, and all of a sudden everybody wanted Cubanos, and everybody was making <laughs> Cuban pork, and it, like people get into that. Even if it's in a tacit way, people don't always realize it. But you, you, you want what you see, and if it looks、yeah. good, you want it. Now, how does that? How do these trends? So the the popularity of images that we see on social media, for example, how does that impact your work in terms of working with?、Um, Advertisers or on TV shows—is it that they're looking to Instagram and they're saying, "Okay, you know what's really hot right now? Charcoal ice cream,、um, yeah. avocado toast,、uh, like that sort of thing." And it, does that translate to your work? A little bit, because what ends up happening is to stay relevant. Obviously, you want something that is, like I said, that is relatable to the viewers. So, if charcoal ice cream is something that you see a lot, it's very possible that you see producers、um, like infiltrating that into the show. Where one of the challenges or one of the tasks or things they have to do, they have to use certain ingredients that will then make them create something that is on trend with what's happening right now. So, then that changes. The way I, you know, plate things or what kind of plates I'm using. Now let's talk a bit about、um, a very current trend. So we touched on like avocado toast,、um, even like the charcoal craze where everybody wanted,、uh, you know, cake and pastries and bread that had you know activated charcoal in it because just the color of it was so stunning. But very. Yes,、um, but very recently, to me, it was bread. Like I really yeah, yeah. found,、uh, for me, it was when the pandemic hit.、Uh, everyone was baking, and there was comfort in that, and、mm-hmm. um, everyone wanted to grow their own sourdough. Oh yeah, 
for sure. Um, So what are your thoughts or what are your observations about that sort of bread or sourdough craze that happened for a few months? It was interesting to see how it developed into this big, huge craze. And that is how trends get started. So people are at home and there's a bit of frustration in terms of like, you know, and fear and you don't know what you're doing, you know, you don't know what's happening, what's what's going to happen. Uh, People are home with their families or kids or parents or whoever, and you need to fill your time with something. And one of the things that you need to do every day that you need to do every single day of your life is eat. So you have no other choice, aside from some of the people who were working at home, was but to actually cook. It was almost like getting back to basics. So I'm like, you know, I need to like be able to make bread and do this. And I'm like, we, we talked ourselves into this kind of frenzy. Um, I, I think too that the sourdough um, craze as it took off had to do with a couple of things. One is that it typically takes a little bit of time in babysitting mm-hmm. and people who work out of the home, it wasn't something you know the general public would aspire to. So there was time. But the other thing was um, yeast became so hard to find because then everyone was baking. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm telling you, after, you know, things kind of started dying down a little bit, I'm doing some shopping for one of the shows and I'm, you know, sourcing stuff. And I could not find, for the life of me, couldn't find anywhere dry active yeast. I couldn't find it anywhere. Every day, it was on my list to find the yeast. And every day I said, there's no yeast. There's no yeast anywhere. I went to everywhere. And the flour was also kind of looking a little slim in some places, right? But flour was in demand because people were baking in there. And when yeah. you bake bread, you go through a lot of flour. And yeah, if you yeah, are... a lot of flour. But you know, you're right. Yeast was really hard to find. So uh, I know a lot of people were like trying to find ways to trade for little packets of yeast just to... Yeah. Uh, be able to bake. And then, I mean, the, the sort of beauty of sourdough is that you don't need the commercial yeast, but it takes a little time to to babysit. And yeah. let me tell you how I let sourdough take over my life for many, <laughs> many, many, many weeks. Um, so I was, I was one of those people, but I also had yeast at home and I felt yeah. like I was yeah. sitting um, on some gold bricks. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm just going to save these, like, you know, I'm just going to save this yeast and not even use it and just use it sparingly. Um, I, I, I guess the last thing I'll touch on is when we talk about um, what influences food trends, because you did mention it can be cultural, political um, mm-hmm. artists, like celebrities. Like, I'm sure if, you know, Beyonce was photographed eating a bag of marshmallows, suddenly oh, yeah. everybody would be out there, you know, yeah. buying marshmallows. Yeah. Um, in your work, has there been any sort of celebrity-influenced food trend that you then had to um, fulfill in terms of styling? Hmm. I don't know about that one, actually. Like, has, there, has, there, has there ever been, um, whether it's a musician or actor or something where, you know, you're like, oh, okay, it's traced back to this celebrity who ate that burger and that's why everybody wants these, you know, double patty burgers or something? Yeah, well, if, if if you go back to what I was talking about before about the movie Chef, like when that movie came out and it was, you know, doing the heyday of the food truck and everybody wanted a food truck and everybody was out and about and doing all that kind of stuff. And all this, everybody wanted the Cuban food. Everybody wanted Latin food because of this movie. Uh, do you like that? Do you like when that happens because it exposes people to yeah. a different cuisine or do you feel yeah. that it doesn't represent it? Well, it dep- well, obviously it depends on who, who's been eating that uh, marshmallow or who's been, you know, <laughs> how, yeah. how it's been done. But 
Yeah, I think with with uh, certain movies and certain artists, I like the the fact that it just sort of opens people up to things that otherwise they would have never heard of. You know, because people tend to think of like Latin food, they tend to think of Mexican. Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks that is there's anything beyond that, and there's just a whole big world of other foods that otherwise you will never hear of unless you see it in a movie or you see it in or you hear it in a song or something like that. So I I like the idea that through that it just opens people's eyes into you know so many other things. Because so then it's then, through, yeah. So I I was just gonna say that through um through things like mainstream movies or mainstream music, and I just use the word mainstream to mean um, like a general population or mass appeal, that mm-hmm. something like that can expose people to something a little bit more niche. Yeah. There's, um, I was just trying to think about when we were just talking about what things have influenced. I remember watching that movie, um, uh, Jiro Drinks of Sushi, what was it? Oh, yeah. I know which movie you're talking about. Yes, I've heard it's really beautiful. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's, I but it made people like really want yeah. sushi, <laughs> and not just and not just like to just want sushi in the general sense of like I'm craving sushi now, but you you almost wanted to order some of the things and examine them in in a different way when you were eating them because things take a different meaning once you get a little bit of background and information into them. It just changes the way you think about what you're eating once you have a little bit of uh, you know um, context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just makes you look at it a little bit different, like where things came from. Um, yeah, like you, even even like just to switch it up a little bit, you look at a show like 90210 in those days when, you know, California kind of became a little bit more um, uh, kind of available to everyone in that sense. And all of a sudden you're seeing more kind of California style food mm-hmm. on restaurants. Like things just small things like that, a TV show or uh, uh, something that an artist talked about during uh, an award show or anything like that, that even those little things can change people's outlook on food. Yeah. And I think now with social media, um, it just, it can grow at such a fast rate and fast speed. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an a, amazing things for um, international cuisines mm-hmm. and exposing people to different cultures, uh, sure. you know, but there's debates about how, you know, Authenticity is a different debate, but it's, I think yeah. it's nice that um, in many ways, as you mentioned, like culture, pol- politics, um, artists, they can, you know, open people's eyes to what is popular or common or available in other other parts mm-hmm. of the world. And that's exactly. um, sort of, that's why, how, why it's so hard to keep up with trends sometimes. <laughs> There's so oh, many yeah, of them. Things, things can change so fast because of social media nowadays. Now let's hear from Eden Hagos, the founder of at blackfoodie.co on Instagram, which is a community that celebrates black food culture. She says that one way trends get traction is if people see themselves in the content. What's great about the internet is it allowed us to carve out our own space when we weren't seen in like traditional food media outlets and um, talk about things that aren't necessarily um, of importance to people outside of our community, at least it wasn't back then. Um, I think it gave us a an outlet that we really needed, and and I'm happy that Blackfoodie was able to do so. Um, I set out to change the way people look at food and engage with Black people in the food world. 
Um, and then social media was just an avenue in which I could actually get my message across and build community. So I actually got really into it and, and really love it now. Eden says paying attention to trends is important, but she's very deliberate with which ones she takes part in. I think uh, with social media, it's so easy to take an idea and share it with people around the world. And so we see these trends pop up and some of them are really cool and interesting. Some of them are really strange and don't look like they taste good at all. <laughs> so um, I, I see things like um, really um, colorful foods that are, you know, packed with sprinkles and over the top and, and look more like, you know, picture perfect and really actually delicious. She's referring to all of that unicorn food that came up a few years ago where everything was dyed, all colors of the rainbow. Because, you know, you do it for the gram. I personally wasn't a huge fan of unicorn bagels, ice cream, or grilled cheese. But it did take off, and it definitely looked pretty. Anyway, back to Eden. A recent trend she did take part in was... Yep, you guessed it, the bread craze. But she said it was community-driven, and she made sure she put her own spin on it. Yeah, so during COVID, um, I saw a spike of, you know, readers and people visiting our um, social media accounts on Black Foodie, and people were tagging us in their new, you know, baking adventures. And people who had never gone into, like, baking their own bread were suddenly, like, super interested in sourdough and and learning even too like their cultural forms of baking so i thought it was like pretty exciting and we would share like tips on banana bread and um do certain events like something that was really popular that i did was um an injera tutorial and injera is this fermented east african flatbread um that's kind of difficult to make if you don't have uh, guidance and when I did the tutorial, um, I got such great feedback. I definitely fell down the sourdough rabbit hole. I spent weeks trying to grow my sourdough starter at home. I baked a ton of sourdough bricks, but I did get one really beautiful sourdough loaf. And of course, I put it up on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Here's the Scoop. This podcast is produced and edited by Amanda Capito. The sound designer and composer is Olivia Pascarelli. Its executive producers are Jessica Robinson and Kieran Rana, with creative direction by Monica Bralabreski. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to Here's a Scoop on your favorite podcast player. And let us know what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share with a friend who also loves all things food. The opinions shared in this podcast are of each individual subject and do not represent the views of Law Plus Companies Limited or its affiliates. <laughs>